All right, hello and welcome to the Velo News Podcast. I'm Dane Cash here with Andy Hood. We're sitting in a corner at the uh, Roubaix Indoor Velodrome. Bit of a sense of deja vu here, Andy. Weren't we just here recording a podcast like a month ago? It seems like about a month ago. We were here for uh, the Spring Classics. Man, time flies. And suddenly we've had this thing called the Giro d'Italia in between. But here we are in the meat of the Tour de France. Yeah, the race that everybody has actually heard of. Uh, it was a big day today. Stage 9 of the Tour de France. They went over much of the same course that uh, Ru- uh, Paris-Roubaix does go over. Uh, a little bit shorter, obviously, but plenty of those same cobbles. It was a day we've been talking about for, well, since the start of the tour, since before the tour. Uh, we knew there was going to be some action on this stage, and that's absolutely what we got. A lot of action. Uh, many, many different storylines to go through today. We'll do a really brief run-through of what happened to catch you up, just in case you are not aware of everything. Uh, before the stage even really started, I mean, just 10 minutes into the action, Richie Port crashed out of the Tour de France. That's one of your you know, big five-star contenders, and he's gone. He's, he's out of here. Yeah, it was, it was a real shame to see Richie. I mean, it was just like, no one really knows what happens. It's one of those pile-ups on the side of the road. It seems like riders were starting to jostle for position. Some of the first kind of attacks were going away. It's just one of those things. He just kind of felt funny. It looks like he banged up his shoulder, broken clavicle, dislocated shoulder, I think it was in the medical report. Richie out, stage nine, the same day or same stage he crashed out of last year. And uh, Richie, man, puts his whole season into coming back after that crash he had last year at the Tour. Really riding well, obviously. He was kind of the favorite behind Froome, won the Tour de Suisse, Tour de Suisse in tears as he had to leave the Tour de France before it even started. Yeah, that was pretty rough. And, you know, it was even before the cobbles. It was just on a regular stretch of road. I mean, you could talk about trying to get in position to get onto the cobbles, but that's, it was pretty far out still, the cobbles. So that was just, you know, just a crash. And unfortunately, this time it took out Richie Port. Uh, TJ Van Carteren uh, was sort of seemed like next in line for that team, but he also lost some time today. Uh, unfortunately for TJ, crashed a couple of times. Here's uh, sports director Fabio Baldato sort of describing what happened today and, and uh, where BMC is going to go from here. Uh, we need to ask it to the doctor. I only know the moment and he went to the ambulance and it looks like it was broken the, the collarbone or even the, the shoulder went out and in. It was really painful. The doctor was there in the ambulance. They was thinking that uh, the, the shoulder, the, the collarbone was broken. It was not bad. They didn't crash with the head. They went down hard uh, with the shoulder again. Uh, we wait, we wait uh, almost more than five minutes, but the doctor, they decide to take him on the ambulance uh, to the hospital. Then we left, uh, we have uh, two guys behind waiting, uh, Miki Shah and Simon Geras. They were about to come back. At that point, uh, we said, let's go for the stage with Greg. Let's go to try to win uh, today's stage uh, with an eyes on uh, TJ. TJ was not really our uh, plan B for GC. TJ was just to keep uh, ahead for sure, but uh, at the end, the, the decision was to try to go for the, for the stage. Richie has no luck in this race. What does this mean for the team going forward? Uh, really disappointing, frustrating for the whole job, for the hard work we did uh, until now. Uh, was even no time to fight in today because after seven kilometers uh, you have uh, a crash, of course, because I was really nervous. The bunch uh, was just a passage on a village, nothing, uh, nothing special and you crash uh, really hard uh, after 7K with all the team around. You cannot say it was not there, it was no. It was almost in front. Uh, this time, uh, again, we try to, to look for uh, the end of the tour. 
to have some stage if it's possible, uh, enjoy, have a fun, uh, because uh, of course a GC, a podio is, uh, is gone. So, uh, Richie Port, probably the biggest story of the day, but that only happened just a couple of minutes into the action. I mean, things really kicked off after that from a racing perspective. Once they hit the cobbles, uh, a lot of guys crashed. It seemed like everybody crashed today. Uh, honestly, though, a lot of those guys who crashed, they managed to get back into the group, and so the, the GC losses at the end of the day, not so big. So once once things really started to play out there towards the end, uh, you saw John Degenkolb get into a lead group with Greg Van Avermaet and Eve Lampart, and John Degenkolb took a really an elusive Tour de France stage win, big emotional victory for him. Uh, as far as the GC guys behind, most of them managed to, you know, even though Chris Froome crashed, for instance, to avoid time loss. Your big loser today was Rigoberto Uran, uh, well, at least other than Richie Port. Uh, your big loser, Rigoberto Uran, who uh, shipped about a minute and a half to his GC rivals. Uh, Roman Bardet, Mikel Landa, they had some, some issues as well, but managed to pretty much get back onto the pelt. So Uran was the only really main GC guy uh, after Richie Port to uh, lose a big chunk of time today. Yeah, how big was that for John Degenkolb? You know, he had that uh, horrible training accident uh, almost two years now at the start of the season. Really hasn't really come back to win a big, big race. And I know there were a lot of happy people around the trek, like a Fredo bus. You know, that's a team that's really been searching for that big win. You know, they came close in the spring classics. They had, I think, top 10 in all the big races in the spring didn't get a victory in coming into this Tour de France. I think they've obviously been frustrated missing out on some of the sprints with Dagen Kolb. And for him to deliver the victory today, you know, really this is as a prestigious tour stage as you can get for a guy like Dagen Kolb, and it meant the whole world to him. Yeah, you could tell how emotional he was. I mean, it's been uh, really, I think Roubaix has been a pretty welcoming place for John Degenkolb. I've, I've now been here three times to the Roubaix Velodrome, and uh, 67% of those visits, John Degenkolb has come away with a win. So he's uh, definitely a, a pretty pretty strong rider for Roubaix. I have to say at the end there, he was in that group with Greg Van Avermaet. It seemed like Van Avermaet was doing a lot of pulls, but then uh, as you come into the finale, everybody was well aware you didn't want to be the guy on the front in that last 500 meters. John Degenkolb was that guy. You know, He kind of got played, and, and he was in the front to lead out the sprint. So the fact that he won anyway, despite kind of being the, in the worst possible position, that says a lot about the kind of form he's in. Whoa. I, think, I think France just scored a World <laughs> Cup goal. We are... Obviously, uh, half the press room's got their eyes on the uh, World Cup game. That was the, uh, the French crowd here, excited at the goal. Uh, anyway, John Degenkolb coming over with a win today. Uh, let's talk about some of these GC guys, though. Obviously, Uran, the big one. Uh, I think EF, they did a pretty good job, I have to say, limiting that loss. They really sent the whole uh, army of guys back to, to help Rigoberto try to catch back on after his crash. He did end up losing time. Uh, but they did a decent job, I think, of limiting that. Here's uh, Tom Scully of EF Education First, Draypack, talking about how the team kind of came together to try to limit the losses for Uran. Like for all the crashes oh, today, it didn't seem like necessarily all that many of them were on the actual cobble. It seemed like a lot of crashes on the asphalt. I kind of think it seemed like just nerves in the first week of the tour, or maybe more nervous today than usual. I mean, yeah, it's just part of bike racing, isn't it? Everyone's racing, um, fighting to get in position for the cobbles because they know where that's that's the danger moment. So people are taking those extra risks to be in position for the cobbles, and you know, part of racing is 
bit of rubbing and you know unfortunately guys crash so I guess that's part of it. I know that Rigo did lose I mean a minute and a half, but it seemed like you guys did a pretty good job of marshalling the you know the reserves to try to pull him back a little bit. Do you feel like you did a decent job of uh, limiting it a bit? Yeah, I mean there was a fair bit of limit there. I mean everyone was riding on it, so um, yeah, that's all we can do is just ride as hard as you can to get back to the front and uh, and hope for to hope to make it back there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you saw the whole team come back and pull for him. You saw uh, Sepp Van Avermaet, uh, Sepp Van Mark, <laughs> all these Van guys. Sepp Van Mark and Davis Finney, Taylor Finney, man. <laughs> Too much dust in the road today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they t- kind of tried to do the team time trial effort there. But I was kind of surprised, actually. You know, he, he did not be able to really close that gap. You saw other teams really pull back when Landa crashed even later in the race, when the pace was even higher. He Landa actually managed to come back with a little bit of help from the AG2R guys with Bardet. They only lost seven seconds on the day, whereas Uran, you know, loses uh, more than a minute to the GC guys. But, you know, looking at, just scanning the GC right now, looking at, oh man, you lose a minute or so plus, but Uran is still right there in the middle of everybody else because it's been such a topsy-turvy start to this Tour de France for the GC favorites. Yeah, I mean, other than Richie Port, you have to say that for all this stage was talked about and all the carnage, well, one, most of that didn't really happen on the cobbles. A lot of it just happened on the asphalt. Guys just crashing like they would on any other stage. Uh, and, and two, yeah, there, there really wasn't... Um, you know, again, other than Richie Port, there was nobody who lost a ton of time. A minute 30 is obviously not great for Rigoberto Uran, but at the same time, uh, that is a, an amount of time that uh, I think is possible he could, he could make it up if he's really, really strong in the mountains. And, uh, you know, another guy that did crash, though, Chris Froome, kind of came down rounding a corner. He did get up pretty quickly uh, and, and, have, and did not lose any time at all. Sky looked really strong today. They spent a lot of time at the front of the peloton. But... Uh, you know, there is that chance that a guy like Chris Froome or Rigoberto Uran, any of these guys who crashed today, uh, might have, uh, you know, some lasting injuries. So we'll have to kind of follow that to see if, if these guys stay healthy. Yeah, Team Sky, I think, really rode the race of the day today. They had their whole team at the front. We saw a few of the guys go down. We saw Froome kind of get tangled up kind of riding into that uh, sector slide out on the slick pave because it really was that's where the nerves were because I think once the guys were on the pave they were just on the rivet on the wheel and actually the pave was almost not really a non-factor but we did see all the big kind of nasty crashes happening kind of before and after the pave sections because you know people I think some people uh, exaggerate the dangers of the pave and really underestimate the riding ability of some of these top guys we saw guys like Bargui even Bardet even Nairo was out there. I mean, they once they get on the road, I mean, these guys are top bike handlers. They're not used to racing the Pavia, of course, but it's not like uh, if me and you were out there trying to do it. Oh, that'd be pretty pretty ugly to watch, I think. Uh, you mentioned Nairo. I, I think, really, hats off to Movistar. They had a pretty impressive day. Movistar spent a lot of time at the front. There were a number of moments where, you know, I look up at the TV screen, and I just remember being surprised, thinking, wait, are those Movistar riders? A lot of them there. I was definitely not expecting such a strong performance from them. And then, you know, as you started thinking that, of course, that's when Mikael Landa goes down. He hit the ground pretty hard uh, with a with a crash, just kind of in an innocuous stretch of road, I think. And it looked like it was going to be really tough for him to get back on. 
but he did. And, and that's a pretty impressive ride from him. Yeah, there, there was, uh, I was hanging around the Movistar bus at the finish line, lots of uh, back slaps and high fives. It was almost like a stage victory for them today to get both Alejandro Valverde and Nairo Quintana across the line in that main GC group. And then uh, Landa, I mean, he said he was taking a sip of water. They come off that sector, come into this, uh, the pavement there. He was uh, just took his handle off the handles off the bar and uh, was drinking from his bidon. And he said he just hit like a, a pothole or something in the road and just went down. And, and he did crash quite hard. The team says doesn't look like he's seriously injured, but obviously uh, cuts and scrapes after an impact that bad. But they they, they had the team. They said once they had Alejandro and uh, Quintana in that front group, they could afford to send two guys back. I believe it was Amador and Erviti, and they time trialed Landa back in almost brought him back to the front group. I think they were kind of surprised at the time difference because they felt like they brought Landa back into that group. I guess there was enough of a gap where they get, did give him the uh, time split, and I think it was seven seconds. Yeah, he and uh, Roman Bardet both in that situation, but similar for, for AG2, I did a good job of protecting Bardet despite his, it seemed like a couple of different struggles today, crashing mechanicals, just w- whatever it was. And uh, they, they, they also did a good job bringing him back but yet, yeah, talking about Movistar, I mean, we're now through the very hectic first nine stages, the kind of terrain that Movistar and their lineup of Spanish and Colombian uh, climbers not that great on. We are now headed into the mountains, and Mikel Landa is on exactly the same GC time as Chris Froome. He's got to be happy about that. Nairo Quintana, obviously not going to be pleased with his time loss on the first stage, but you know, heading into the mountains, he's not that far behind Chris Froome. There's a lot of time now for them to get some time on Chris Froome and, and maybe, you know, put themselves into the driver's seat. And the fact that they have three riders who are up there, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Team Sky. They can start firing off one guy after another, and Team Sky eventually is going to have to, uh, you know, make some decisions about that and, and, and which attacks are going to follow. Yeah, there was a sense of mission cumplido over at, uh, at uh, Movistar because Look who's number five in the classification, Mr. Alejandro Valverde. And one of the Spanish journalists asked uh, Valverde, what does it mean that you are really kind of the virtual GC leader? I mean, not... Oh, it sounds like Another Francis score, it sounds like, like, huh? Sounds like we're going to have a party in our hands tonight. Okay. Um, but n- n- taking nothing away from Bob Youngles and uh, Garrett Tomas, they asked uh, Valverde, you know, how's it feel to be kind of the virtual leader of this Tour de France? And Valverde just kind of laughed it off and said, well, it just shows that I've been lucky so far. Yeah, I mean, he's a pro, and I think he knows exactly how important luck is. I mean, we've seen some pretty innocuous roads turn out crashes. It certainly seems like a lot of unlucky guys today. Uh, spare a, a, a thought, obviously, for Port in that department. Uh, Bob Youngle's a guy, I think, worthy of mentioning. He finished in a little, a little group uh, that went on ahead Gained a little bit of time today with the uh, other quick step guys, and uh, he's actually of your sort of virtual GC, uh, maybe second behind Gary Thomas. So Sky's Gary Thomas is of the guys who has that sort of GC potential. I mean, he's he's actually pretty significantly ahead of Alejandro Valverde, even almost 50 seconds, 48 seconds it looks like. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Sky manages that uh, up uh, up in the mountains, up in the Alps here, which are right around the corner. I mean. There is a real distinct possibility that Gary Thomas could be in the yellow jersey here very soon. Uh, Greg Van Avermaet holding it right now, rolled into Roubaix in yellow, but I do not expect Greg Van Avermaet to hold on to that. And so, uh, well, what happens if Gary Thomas wears yellow? Yeah, I think that, that will kind of uh, set up the, you know, the, the questions of the palace intrigue. I mean, the buzz coming out of the Team Sky bus the last couple of days, I was hanging around there talking to some of the DSs, and they said, 
they, they came in as co-captains, Garen Thomas and, and uh, Froome, but Froome is obviously the guy they're riding for. That's who the team's priority is right now. Garen Thomas has kind of the freedom to, to float around. He can kind of race his own race, but I don't expect really that team to kind of disintegrate into this kind of uh, power struggle. You saw even last year, even Landa played the loyal role and a, and a team sky thing. There's a lot of respect inside the organization for what Chris Froome has brought to that team. You know, he's won four of the past five tours to France, so it's not that they're going to, like, hit, you know, unhitch their support for uh, Froome and put it on the Garrett Thomas bandwagon right now. Yeah, uh, another rider that had a really strong day today, Dan Martin, uh, actually ended up uh, amazingly gaining time on his rivals on the cobbled stage because he snatched some bonus seconds. And so uh, that puts him, I mean, it was just like two bonus seconds, but for Martin to even finish with the other other big GC guys today, oh, that's a bit surprising to me. Uh, he mentioned the other day that you know he went and reconned the Roubaix stage and just thought it was absolutely brutal. Martin is a very skinny climber, and he looks even skinnier at this tour than I've ever seen him before, and that's saying something for, for Dan Martin. So I don't think he was really enjoying his time out there on the road, but he did a heck of a ride today. And now he and the other pure climbers are kind of you know, they're in the clear. They're, they're headed into their favored terrain. So as of the end of stage nine, a lot of those climbers are actually doing pretty well. And of course, after tomorrow's rest day, the Monday's rest day, it's, uh, it's into the mountains we go. Stage 10, stage 11, and stage 12, all mountain stages in the Alps. Yeah, I think the Alps are going to be uh, decisive this year. I think that um, riders are going to be tired now coming into the Alps. Stage 10, 11, 12, those would be key stages because... The way the race is unfolding now, you can't wait until the Pyrenees, I don't think, because I think this first nine days is taking a lot out of these guys. And I think, and you can just kind of see the writing on the wall, that I think uh, Team Sky is going to try to smash it in the mountains, kind of get, uh, maybe put Garen Thomas in the, into yellow, but really ride, try to ride Froome back up to the top of the leaderboard. And it's going to be, I think, just a huge clash between Movistar and Team Sky. And I just hope, I just hope for once, Movistar attacks instead of just waiting, 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 which has kind of been their, their, their the way of trying to take on Froome with Nywa the last few editions of this tour. You know, try to grind down Froome, grind him down, and then attack on the last stage in the mountains. That hasn't worked. I'd love to see Movistar threw all of its cars in the table. Yeah, we've seen, we, you know, talking about how many guys they have that are still up there in the GC, we've actually seen that before. There have been years where Alejandro Valverde and Naira have both been up there on the GC, and you're just sort of waiting and waiting. Is one of these guys going to go? And then eventually on stage 19 or something, when Chris Froome already has a four-minute lead, that's when they decide to attack. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully we won't have to wait that long this year for that to happen because... I, and I think they have to. I mean, you can't just wait around waiting for uh, Chris Froome to make a mistake because he has been pretty mistake-free the last couple of years. And even today when he did make a mistake and crash, he was right back up on the bike and he barely even lost any time at all. So he does a really good job of, of you know limiting those mistakes and then limiting his losses when he makes them. Uh, I think Mikelanda, all eyes on Mikelanda for me, just how strong he seems to be right now and uh, how, how high up he is on the general classification after a couple of days. Yeah, I think it's interesting to, to take away for me out of this uh, first nine days of the tour, looking at the GC. You know, honestly, I expected to be a lot more big differences between some of these top riders after the team time trial, as well as this stage. I thought it would, both those stages cumulatively would have a much bigger impact on the GC. You know, there are a few riders kind of in the front end and the back end of this GC group that has quite a bit of time. But if you're looking at from Valverde at number, you know, top five going down to even Quintana, you know, it's a little more than a minute, minute 
minute, 20 minutes, and that is still pretty tight, because honestly, I expected the difference to be much, much bigger, just based on how brutal this first nine stages looked on paper, at least. Yeah, I, I gotta agree with you there, and I, and I also think, well, one sort of storyline that comes out of that, though, one of the reasons that we have seen losses limited, despite some crashes, despite a team time trial, uh, the, the cobbled stage today, I think a lot of teams came into this race with, uh, several big beefy riders for the first couple of stages because they knew how important these would be so some of these teams brought your big time trial types or your big classics guys and that's been very effective i think it's helped them limit those losses i mean we andy we were talking after the team time trial how surprised we were that some of these teams like uh like an ag2r or even a uae yeah they lost time but they didn't lose maybe as much time as we'd expected the question for me is okay well what happens now when we get into the mountains because they brought all those big guys they're not going to be much use when the road starts going up at 8% in the Alps. And so that could make things even more interesting to come. I, I agree with you 100% there. It, it's exactly right. A lot of these teams brought some brawn to front load in this tour. Now, I mean, it's going to quickly uh, dissipate down to a race of mano a mano. I mean, how many of these big riders are going to have kind of lieutenants with them? Not that many. I mean, you have a few of these teams that brought some co-leaders. We'll see all those riders together. But you know, who's going to be there for Fuglesong? Who's going to be there for Nibali? Who's going to be there? I mean, there'll be a little bit fewer uh, riders, but man, after the first couple of stages of these mountains, I think it's all going to come down to this elite group of the GC riders really going at each other. I think it's going to make for some very interesting racing going in through the Alps, for sure. So that's what we've got through nine stages, and that's what we've got to look forward to in the next couple of days. I think plenty of action to come here. Uh, rest day first. So let's, let's go enjoy our rest day, Andy. What do you say? Yeah, I wish it was a rest day. Well, the, the teams or uh, the riders are getting onto a plane here any minute, flying down to Annecy, the foot of the French Alps. Uh, all of us schleppy journalists have to make the drive. I think the team mechanics have to make the drive. So, you know, we'll be lucky to get there in time for dinner tomorrow night. All right, so that's it for us from the Roubaix Velodrome. Thanks for uh, joining the Velo News Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Au revoir.